Hello everybody and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Today's episode is all about passwords and why the passwords that you've chosen are probably horrible. <laughs> How do I know? Trust me, I've got data to back that up. We will be getting into that shortly with my guest Chris Romeo. He's back for his second appearance and we get all into passwords and password managers and how you can find the best possible passwords and somehow manage to remember them all. And before we get to that, let's do our normal little weekly news segment where I catch you up on the, the things that I think are important for you to know. The subject of last week's show uh, with Ernesto Falcone from the Electronic Frontier Foundation was the privacy bill that removed the privacy regulations that would have required your internet service providers to get your consent before gathering and selling information about you. That has been signed by President Trump and is now the law of the land. So we talked about that at length last week. If you did not catch that episode, I highly recommend going back and checking it out. We talk about why it's important to you and what you can do about it, including uh, looking at virtual private networks or VPNs, something that's been all over the news lately. And if you want to know all about that, check out our episode from last week. Also in recent news, uh, Google researchers have uncovered a pretty nasty Wi-Fi bug. Uh, in the Broadcom uh, Wi-Fi chips that are included in most smartphones. That would include both uh, iOS devices, in other words, Apple devices, and Android devices. So this software bug basically would allow somebody else who is on the same Wi-Fi network as you, who was a hacker and understood how to exploit this bug, to completely and utterly take over your phone. Now, we don't know that they knew about this bug yet. If we're lucky, we kind of found it before anybody else did. Uh, and got it fixed. Um, so the fixes are out there. You need to make sure you get those fixes. But unfortunately, if you <laughs> if you don't get it fixed, you're vulnerable. Now, you're only vulnerable, hopefully, as far as we could tell so far, if you happen to be on the same Wi-Fi network as a bad guy. So at your house, this probably is not a problem. If, when you're out and about and you're using your cellular data, shouldn't be a problem. But if you're at Starbucks or McDonald's or wherever you may be using a public Wi-Fi hotspot, uh, if there's a bad guy on that network uh, and he knows about this this exploit, he could be using it to get up to some pretty bad stuff. Now, uh, Apple and Google have already released fixes for these bugs, so uh, please go update your, your phones, your smartphones, as soon as these fixes are available. Uh, note that you'll be able to immediately do this on all Apple devices, but it may be days or maybe even weeks um, to update uh, non-Google-made Smartphones, in other words, anything besides a Pixel. The Pixel is the is the Android phone that is made directly by Google, and they're publishing their their security fixes right away to those phones. Unfortunately, for just about everybody else, you could be waiting quite a while, um, especially if you have an older device. Um, so let's let me talk about that just for a minute. And I know that there's a lot of you know there's a lot of personal preference when it comes to choosing what what type of phone you want to get whether you want to go the apple route or whether you want to go the android route those are the two main two main ones that we have out there today and there's a lot of good reasons to go both ways and 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 this is just one thing that i just want to put out there for you to consider because that's that's what my that's what i'm here for i'm here to talk to you about security and privacy so the problem with android phones as opposed to apple phones at least when it comes to security is that Android is a very fractured market. So Google makes their software available to phone manufacturers and cell phone service providers so that they can customize that software. The Android is the operating system. That's the software that basically runs the phone, just like Windows is the, is the software that runs a PC and Mac OS is the, uh, the operating system that runs Apple computers. 
So Android is the operating system, and and Google allows both the, the cell phone manufacturer uh, as well as the various cellular service providers access to that software so that they can customize it. And of course, they love to do that, and they add all sorts of interesting features or things that they at least think are interesting. The problem with this, however, is that that means that there's multiple layers of gatekeepers between you and those security fixes. So when Google comes out with a security fix and they send it to the cell phone manufacturer, the cell phone manufacturer has to then incorporate that into their software. They have to retest all their software, approve it, make any changes they want to make. And then they make it available to the the the, the cellular service providers who may go through the exact same process. All these things takes time, take time. And that's time that you are vulnerable. Uh, unlike Apple phones, which... They Apple has decided since day one that they want complete and utter control uh, over all of their devices. Um, that has pros and that has cons. But one of the big pros in that scenario is that Apple can directly release immediately these sorts of security fixes to minimize the amount of time that you're vulnerable. So anyway, I know there's lots of great reasons to pick an Android phone. But since I'm focused on security and privacy, I just wanted to make sure that you understood that that very in important distinction between those two uh, types of phones. Now, if you've got a Pixel phone, which is the, the new line of phones that are um, made by Google directly, Google is releasing uh, that software to those immediately. There's, you take out all these other middlemen. So if you are going to consider an Android phone, you might want to seriously consider getting a Pixel. And our final news story of the week, uh, the password manager, uh, the very popular password manager called LastPass, um, has fixed a very serious bug in their web browser plugin uh, in the last week. So uh, make sure that you go and update your plugin. Now, it should most browsers will update this actually automatically for you. So chances are you've already got the latest software and you're already protected. But just to make absolutely sure, go into your browser and find uh, the list of add-ons, uh, either Chrome or Firefox uh, or whatever your browser may be. Uh, if you've got LastPass installed there as a browser plugin, find your list of plugins and make sure that you've got version 4.144 or higher. Uh, as long as you've got that, uh, at least you have 4.144, you're in good shape. Uh, if not, then make sure you go and find and download the latest because it was kind of a nasty bug. Now, the bug was actually very clever and it's probably likely that it was not being exploited by hackers. Uh, the Google researcher that found this was... Well, he's a really smart, he's a really smart guy uh, and has been helping LastPass, um, among others, um, to vet their programs and find these sorts of bugs and get them fixed. So the way this is supposed to work and the way this one did work is that he found the bug. He approached LastPass and said, hey, I think this is a vulnerability. This looks like something that could be exploited by somebody who is really clever uh, and you need to fix it. And so LastPass said, yes, absolutely. You're right. We'll get right on that. They did. Uh, it was, it took a while to fix cause this was kind of a, this was a tricky one, but they got it all done. They got it fixed. They pushed out an update and then it was announced as to, uh, what the problem was so that the hackers wouldn't be able to take advantage of it during this period of time while, uh, LastPass was fixing it. So, uh, that's actually a great segue into our, uh, guest interview today. Um, I've asked Chris Romeo, CEO and co-founder of security journey to come back and talk to us all about passwords and how to manage them. So without further ado, let's get into our interview. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. 
You'll find a whole host of shows and a great lineup back at AmericaOutloud.com. And also, get the apps. We now stream 24-7 on Android and Apple. Just look for America Out Loud Talk Radio. Okay, everybody, and back for his second appearance on the show is Chris Romeo. He's the CEO and co-founder of Security Journey. Uh, Chris's company offers comprehensive, user-friendly, and affordable security training for both large and small businesses. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be back for my second visit here. Not only were you the first guest, you're the first one to come back again. I very wow. much appreciate that. I'm very, I'm very honored at this point. <laughs> Good. You should, and well, you should be. Okay, so this is the password episode. We're going to talk everything password. And I, I, I commonly refer to passwords as the bane of our digital existence. Everybody hates them, and yet we have to have them. Uh, so just how did we get to this place? Why is it, why is it that we have to use passwords? What, why is that the best we can come up with today? Well, we got to keep the bad people from being able to get into our systems. And we have to, use, we have to provide some type of a security mechanism that allows us to say, okay, hey, Amazon, hey, PayPal, whoever else I'm talking to, I'm Chris Romeo, and this is how I can prove that I am who I am. Sure. So is there, you know, so one of the things that, you know, we have today that uh, we maybe didn't have in the past is fingerprint readers uh, and cameras or, you know, so some people are thinking, oh, that's, that's the solution, right? I, all of a sudden, I don't have to remember all this crap anymore. I can just look at my computer and or put my fingerprint on something and, and now I'm done. Certainly, I can't forget that. I can't lose it. That We call that biometric, uh, so, right? Because it's something that you are. Usually when you're talking about proving something, proving to somebody who you are, it's something you have, something you know, or something you are. Those are the kind of things we talk about, right? So password being something new, you know, uh, biometrics, your fingerprint, your iris scan, your face, whatever, that's something you are. Uh, we have that capability now. What, what's your take on that? Is that something that we can replace passwords with? I, I, don't, I don't actually think so. So I'm not a big fan of the use of biometrics. Uh, it's been, we've seen biometrics like fingerprint readers and things integrated into uh, laptops probably starting 10, 15 years ago, and they never really caught on. Uh, the new iPhones over the last couple of years have the fingerprint reader. I use that for convenience, not for security purposes. Right. Um, it's really not. It's not enhancing my overall um, approach to security. So I think the challenge that we have the biometrics is, say you use a, an, a retina scanner, something that's going to scan my eyeball to prove that I'm Chris Romeo. Mm-hmm. What happens if somebody is somehow able to get the digital representation of my eyeball from the, the database that, that the system is checking against? I can't pull my eyeballs out and I'm going to change my eyeballs like every 30 days. Right. right? So you can't change. So I think those things can be enhancements. Um, you've seen the DOD, for example, use all kinds of Department of Defense here in the United States, use all kinds of different biometric style hand readers, fingerprint scanners, retina scanners in the eyeballs to enhance super high-level physical security things. But for the average everyday user, I just don't see it. Yeah. And there, there have been some, actually, some very clever hacks uh, that allow people to, uh, to to fool these systems, especially some of, you know, probably the simpler, cheaper systems that are built into our smartphones and some of these things, they're not, you know, they're not what the NSA would spend on for the for those kind of sensors. So I've seen some of the facial recognition stuff get fooled just by a picture, for example. Yeah. Uh, there, there were some people that lifted fingerprints off of something and did some clever way to reproduce, you know, fake fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen, I've seen stories like that as well. And um, I don't know if, I don't know if they're 
I haven't actually ever tested it to see if it's true, but you know, you see, like I was watching a movie on the plane um, a couple days ago, National Treasure, and he uses mm-hmm. these rubber gloves, mm-hmm. and then he he gives this the lady he's trying to get her fingerprint, gives her a gift, and then um, he's able to transfer her fingerprint to he puts the glove on, transfers her fingerprint to the glove, and then goes to the scanner, puts his finger on, beep, lets him into the system. So um, that's Hollywood's approach. Uh, I've never been able to test that as valid, but I still don't think it works for the average everyday person on the internet. And you know, and we've all seen the spy movies, right? So so if you want to get completely gruesome, these things are just physical parts of your body. They can be removed. <laughs> There were, you know, I've seen, you know, the classic spy novel where the guy cuts off the guy's finger or pulls his eyeball. I know that's gross, but, you know, in reality, if that's what they're scanning, they, you know, you could do that. I mean, yeah, well, the high, so the higher, more expensive devices that do this have things like heat sensors mm. and everything. So you technically couldn't cut some, I mean, if you cut somebody's finger off, you'd have to warm it up it a certain temperature <laughs> to, to make it work. But they've got some protections, but the thing is, you can't afford to. Nor should you put that level of protection yeah, on yeah. your laptop Correct. or on your phone. If you're if you're the type of person that has that you're the CEO of a big company, you need a whole program wrapped around how you protect <laughs> your information, your accounts, your th- those things. And many of the things we'll talk about over the rest of this time will be things that you can enhance your secure lifestyle. But if you're if you're somebody who's already going to get a lot of attention, there's just some there's some other things you got to do. Well, and the other thing I like to bring up when we talk about biometrics is uh, because you really can't change it, or at least not without disfiguring yourself, there's really no anonymity anymore, right? Because, you know, once somebody knows that that fingerprint is Kerry Parker or Chris Romeo, whenever it's used, they know exactly who you are. There's no, there's no chance of hiding behind, you know, you know, I love fishing dot, you know, 125 or, you know, some sort of a pseudonym, right? At, At that point, you can't hide. Yeah, I just, the thought of databases, like even the database that Apple has of fingerprint information. I mean, that should scare us to, to some degree because that's a private institution. This is a company. It's one thing. So I have the TSA pre-check thing. And part of what I had to do to be able to get that was I had to do fingerprints and they digitally sent them over. So now I've officially been fingerprinted. I'm in the system, mm-hmm. even though I didn't commit a crime or anything. <laughs> right. Um, so now that's that's information that's in this the law enforcement's database. But Apple already had that information. Mm. Like Apple didn't have to get me to go to an appointment and do my fingerprints. They had already recorded a couple of my fingers because I used them as a as a convenience. So there is a privacy potential privacy threat just in that we're letting private companies hold all this data now. Yeah, and I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was, one of the government agencies had a whole database of fingerprints that got hacked and stolen. Yeah. So all those people, now their fingerprints are out there. They can no longer use, I mean, they're screwed, right? That as far as two-factor, okay. So we've talked about biometrics. So yep. it, it works great maybe as a second factor or a third factor, but the, today we're still stuck with passwords. And so I thought this would be fun. It's always good to look at this. There's, there's a group that puts out this list of the top hacked passwords every year. So... Uh, last year, there were some 10 million passwords that were hacked from ver- various server breaches, and they went through these passwords uh, to find out which were the most common ones. And I'm going to run through just, just the top 10, and you'll get an idea how bad we are at passwords. So n- coming in at number one, perennial favorite, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> six <laughs> only six digits. It, 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 it was a 17%, an astounding 17% of these 10 million were that password. Uh, followed then by one two three four five six seven eight nine. Number three was Q W E R T Y, which if you're anybody is familiar with a with a keyboard, that's the first six six characters on the top of every keyboard in order. Uh, and then one two three four five six seven eight was number four. Then one 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 six ones 
was number five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero was six. One, two, you see a pattern? One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven was number seven. Coming in at number eight, of course, was password, just password, not even zero for the O, just password. Number nine was one, two, three, one, two, three. I'm getting very clever. Number 10 was nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So maybe we can we can stop and tell the listeners right now, if you heard your password on that list, please push pause on whatever device you're reading this from and go change those passwords quickly yes. because those are terrible examples of passwords. Yes, and I've seen this list before. The, the weird one that didn't show up in the top 10 that was almost always there was monkey. I don't know why. For some reason, monkey is, a, is another one that always makes the list. Okay, so... Why is it so important, kind of leading to that question, why is it so important that we use different passwords for every website? Let's say I come up with this, this killer password. I don't want to have to remember you know, multiple killer passwords. So why, why is it so bad if I reuse that? I think we got to go back and, and answer for everybody why those are bad passwords. Oh, I bet, sure. I bet we got some people that don't even realize those are bad passwords. So the, the, the common theme that you see here in these top 10 passwords is they're, they follow a pattern, first of all, one, two, three, four, five, six being the number one thing on the list. And so if somebody wanted to try to get into an account that um, had your email on it, for example, they tried to get into your Amazon account and that was the password, that, that's a, I mean, that would be a pretty easy one that they could guess. They wouldn't have to think about it a lot. Right. Um, so the point is, those are the, the problem with these passwords on this list is that they're just too easy for somebody to guess. And... When an attacker is trying to get into your account and they're trying to guess your password, they have ways, they have tools that they can use to, to automate the process of trying to guess your password. And all that does is it goes through and tries every possible combination of password. And I can tell you that one, two, three, four, five, six is going to be, is, is very easy for a modern day computer that's trying to guess a password to figure out on its own. Yeah, we call that a dictionary attack in the, in the in the industry, right? So they've got a list, basically a pre, this list that was published on the internet, the, the bad guys have this list too, and they've got one that's actually much longer, right? So, uh, and because it can be done by computers, these guys can literally, with a computer, try every word in the dictionary, then try every word in the dictionary backwards, then try every combination every, in, in, in seconds, right? And, and yeah, so, and what happens here, it's not even that they're trying these, all these different combinations of passwords against your Amazon account in real time. If they do that, Amazon will block them and, and kick them out. When we have this idea of a data breach that we hear about in the news all the time, the primary thing that's happening in that data breach is some information is being stolen from the database within a particular website. And that information will contain sometimes usernames and passwords credit cards, other things. But when the, when it's username and passwords, normally the people that are storing those passwords in their database, they're doing something to make it a little bit harder to guess, right. but they're not making it impossible. So when that data breach happens, the bad guys are able to grab that password file that comes from the breach, and then they're able to, on their own computers, in their own time, not over the internet or anything, just try every possible combination to see if they can crack the password. They're basically cracking the password open when they guess what it is running through software on their own computer. Which leads perfectly back to the question I asked a minute ago. So why then is it important that you have different passwords on different websites? Yeah, that's, that, that is definitely a great question because, and the, the easy answer is if you use the same password for every website and that password gets uh, disclosed in a data breach and the bad guys are able to crack that password, the 
first thing that an attacker does if they crack a password that comes from a data breach is they quickly try that same email and password combination on every popular website out there. They're playing the odds to say that you're going to use the same password everywhere. And if you use the same password for your Gmail, that you use for your bank, that you use for your Uber account, that you, for all these different things, they can wreak havoc across your digital life yeah. in the, with the snap of a finger. In, in, in 10 minutes after cracking that password, they can, they can flip your whole digital world upside down. And so that's why we need to have different passwords for every different site that we interact with. Okay, so I'm a human being. I've got a human mind. My human being mind is not up to that task. I cannot come up, I cannot possibly remember some really great random passwords for every, I mean, I, I know that I'm a computer guy, so I've got hundreds of passwords I need to know, but I'm sure the average person out there at least has dozens. I saw the average is actually, it is actually around 100 for everybody in the United <laughs> States. So um, I, when I counted mine up, I had like 300, and mm -hmm. that made me kind of curious to say, what are other people <laughs> yeah. dealing with? And the average is around 100 different accounts that um, even non-techie people have. So I, no human is up to that task. If you really want to create, you know, killer passwords that are unique for 100 unique passwords, I, I'd be lucky to remember, you know, three or four. So what do we do? Well, we got two different possible things that we can do here. We can either take a course in memorization, <laughs> and how, to, how to memorize and remember very long strings of characters and numbers. That's option one. Mm. That's not going to be the one I recommend. <laughs> option two is we have this idea of a password manager. Password manager is a piece of software that runs on your computer, and what it does is it's a secure place to generate and store passwords for all the different sites that you use. And by generating those passwords, what, by storing them and making them available through this password manager, we can create the we can create passwords that are up to 35, 40 characters long because we don't have to memorize them and keep them in our mind. Right. The password manager will manage that process for us. And not only that, but the password managers, if you now, and we'll talk about this as far as the security aspects of this, but most of these password managers come with a browser plugin that basically allows you to autofill these crazy passwords so you don't even have to cut and paste them. If now, again, we'll get into the security aspects of that here in a minute, um, but the password managers have all sorts of other cool features as well. So you don't, not only don't you have to come up with the passwords, it'll generate them for you, and they'll be. You know, you always get these things, well, must have at least one upper and lower case, must have a number, must have a special character. These things are just crazy, crazy passwords that these got because they're completely random. So that looks like gibberish. It is gibberish, but it's impossible to guess or, rep or, or remember. Well, so that, not impossible. Oh, yes, sure. <laughs> with a certain amount, with an infinite amount of time, somebody would be able to crack even those stronger passwords. It just makes it really, really hard with the modern-day computing that we have. Right. Just to give you an example, so uh, and I cover this a little bit in the book. That if you took, if you if you take all the special characters, upper and lower case, and numbers, that's about a hundred different possible characters. So if you were to create a, a, a twelve character password, it's estimated that a supercomputer would still take almost two centuries to try every possible combination. Now, of course, statistically, they would only have to go half that far, but we're not going to get into probability. The point is, you you need to be looking at at least what twelve characters. What to rec What is your recommendation? From a so. If you're using a password manager, the sky's the limit mm. from, from as far as password length. I um, am a big fan in 
um, 30 character, 40 character passwords when I don't have to memorize and remember them. I think it's still important if you have a password that's not gonna be tracked in a password manager, I think 12 characters, if you can, if you can remember that many, and um, there's some different things that we can do to help us create passwords that are more memorable. Um, and even the password managers provide us some advice about how to do that. All right, excellent, excellent. Okay, um, how many websites do you actually run into? Because I've hit this problem where websites actually limit the number of characters you can use. So actually, how many times have you had a problem trying to find a, uh, with websites that actually won't accept a password that I, large? I don't do business with people. <laughs> yeah. If a website tells me that they have an eight-character password, that tells me that they don't know anything about security and they're not keeping any of my data inside yeah. of their databases or anything. I'll just walk away and say, no, thank you. That, that's a good point. So password managers, I, I like password managers as well because they also come with some really other, uh, some really other cool features um, uh, beyond just autofilling in the, in the browser so you don't have to even uh, bother to cut and paste it. You can, this is a great place to store. This is basically a vault, right? It's a, it's a secure vault. So you, you can store your credit card numbers, uh, secure notes, things like this, uh, so that you don't have to, for, for example, if I, if I only go shopping at a website once in a blue moon, I don't want to save my credit card information with them, but it's also nice if I don't have to fill it in. So that's where actually your password manager could do that for you. What other what are some other really cool features that you like about uh, password managers? So I, I do use the password managers for the secure note features. Sometimes I like to keep little snippets of configuration files that are sensitive that have some sensitive information in them. Um, I don't I don't really store credit cards or anything like that inside of them. I don't I just haven't had a use case where I need the credit cards. Okay, so it's, it's not that you oppose that. It's just you personally have not. I just haven't had a use case where I needed to pull a credit card uh, okay. number out of that. Um, and I know um, like my browser tries to <laughs> tries to get me to store credit card numbers all the time, and I'm always saying no, thank you. Uh, please don't keep. And then that's another that's another kind of thing we can explore here is that some of the browsers actually have yes. these password managers built into them, but it's not going to be at the same grade of security that the that the programs that we're talking about here. So uh, pretty much every modern browser will say, "Hey, do you want to store this password?" My answer to the modern browser is no, because I just want to separate the security of my passwords from the software that makes up the browser into two separate entities so that if the browser has a problem it, it still doesn't mean that it can it can unlock and get to all of my all my important passwords that is an absolutely excellent point and I'm glad you brought that up um, I used to recommend people actually turn that feature off so it even so it'll just stop asking you usually uh, many of the password managers when you first install them they can import Import all the uh, any saved passwords you already have, and then you can wipe that out. Um, I, I totally agree. Um, this is just one aspect of many things that browsers are doing. While the the, the password managers that is their sole reason for being, right? So I, I would much uh, much prefer the security that comes with the password manager over whatever uh, the browser has built in. Excellent, excellent point. Um, uh, one other point I wanted to make about password managers, at least at LastPass, and that's the one I'm most familiar with, one of the things they offer is you can actually securely share a password with someone else. It, I'm sure the technology behind this is interesting. They don't expose the password, but let's say you know your mother wants you to be able to get into her bank account from time to time. She can actually share her password with you. You can use that probably through some token mechanism to log into their website, into her bank account, but not actually see her password, and she could revoke that privilege at any time. Have you ever used that feature? I have not, and I think that it's probably not 100% secure <laughs> as a feature. Because if you think about it, if the password has to make its way into her to to whoever you're sharing the passwords with browser, and that's going to then be entered into a website to give them some access that was 
belong to you and your account, mm -hmm. that means at least in memory, that information is somewhere in an unencrypted form. So if, if somebody want, if I wanted to, I could figure out, I could watch that password by just doing some analysis of watching the, the memory on my computer using special tools and things. This isn't something that everybody on the street's going to be able to do, but I could, I could be, I could capture that password out of, out of memory. Well, that would be interesting. Interesting point. Very interesting point. So I'm sure that people are already thinking this and they should be if they're, if they're being properly paranoid. Wait a minute. If I'm putting all my passwords into one basket, that's all my eggs in one basket, right? Is how safe is that? How, how secure are password managers? They are relatively secure at this point. I won't say that they're, I won't, I'll never say anything has perfect right. security. They're pretty good. They, they've, they've been, rel there's been a few different issues over the past, in the past about um, challenges with the actual password managers themselves. But if you think about what the password manager is ultimately des designed to replace, it's that notebook next to the computer that has all the handwritten usernames and passwords, which is still, it's not what I recommend to people, but it's more secure than using the same password everywhere yeah. to have that notebook. But the challenge with that is, and we, we have some friends of ours who were in the process of a move, they were using a paper notebook that had all their usernames and passwords and emails and everything in the pa on paper. Mm -hmm. Guess what happened in the move? They lost it or left they it behind? They lost the book. Oh it's my gone. God. Their entire... Digital world is was embodied, so they had to go through account by account and recover. They could still get into their email, so they had to go through and recover passwords for every site they use and do all the changes. The advantage of the password manager is that it, it embodies that in software. So as long as you have, you're going to use one really secure password to unlock your vault here, mm -hmm. and that's the password you're going to keep in your memory and always remember. And that's how you uh, how you unlock all the secrets that are stored in this one vault. So if, if done properly, the way this works is your one password un, uh, encrypts your vault and that vault is never never sent over the internet or stored because these things allow you to sync your passwords in the cloud usually. Uh, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, so it's all encrypted locally. Anything that even if a hacker got into, let's say LastPass's online database, what they would be getting is all of your passwords heavily encrypted. So yep. as we talked about before, it doesn't really do them any good uh, as long as the implementation is done well, right? So yep. now there are different password managers and, and I'd like to know, you know if you have any specific recommendations uh, on, on products and, and kind of if you would, as you go through it, how, tell me how you feel about cloud storage versus um, you know, keeping your password vault uh, on a local drive or on a thumb drive or something that unfortunately, what that would mean is you would have to physically keep that with you if you want to do your passwords at work and at home and that kind of thing. So let's, let's explore that cloud versus local issue because that's going to have ramifications for mm -hmm. me in each of the different password managers that we talk about. So I've kind of got two answers. Okay. I have what do I do as someone <laughs> who's been in the world of security for 20 years and what am I okay with people in my family doing. Right. So the issue of cloud storage versus local is where are the passwords and who could potentially access them in a worst case scenario. So for me, as a 20 year security uh, person, I don't like the idea of having my password stored in somebody else's cloud storage space that I don't have control of. I'm a bit of a control freak when mm -hmm. it comes to how I secure my own information, my own systems. So I want to have just a local copy. 
Now, I do use synchronization, an out-of-band synchronization service from the, from the provider of the password manager, meaning I use a um, Dropbox-like syncing service that keeps the encrypted files up to date across multiple computers so I can still share passwords that between that my password manager, I can have the same password manager on two different computers and it can share and update its local database uh, without having to store that information in the cloud. Yeah, so that, that's that's crucial. And so let us let me back up one second, paraphrase that to make sure the audience understands what we're talking about here. So you've got this password manager and that password manager maintains a vault of all of your passwords. Every single password you own, all protected and encrypted by one big master password, which we're going to talk about in a second here. So the question now is, where does that vault get stored and how do I access that vault from multiple different places? And that, those multiple places just might be your cell phone versus your home computer. Uh, I, personally, being a tech guy, I've probably got six computers and, <laughs> and two mobile devices. So for me, it's even bigger than that. But as long as you have more than one, you have a case where you need to or would like to, for convenience, be able to access that vault in more than one place and keep those things in sync. So if, if I change my bank password on one place, that gets updated in the other place as well. So things like LastPass, um, they actually manage this for you. So part of the LastPass services, they will synchronize these things for you. They keep the copy of your encrypted vault in the cloud and everywhere you go and everywhere you log into, into LastPass with your master password, you all of a sudden have access to all of your synchronized passwords. Uh, other password managers, um, for people like us that for that tend to be more paranoid, uh, um, uh, and maybe you know, maybe we're even more targets. I don't know if that's true, but at any rate, if we want, to, if we're a little more paranoid about it, we would say, no, I want to, I want to separate those two, those two actions. I want to, I'll have my password manager work locally off of wherever I tell it my vault is, and then I will manage getting that password vault synchronized from place to place. And one way to do that might be Dropbox or something like Dropbox. Uh, or you could put it on a thumb drive or whatever you take. So I just want to make sure we cover that. That's that is an extremely important point. So now that we've covered that, what kind of recommendations might you have? What what products do you recommend? So just to to one closing thought on the cloud versus local, I just wanted to say that people like in my family members, I'm okay if they use the cloud-based storage because it's it is definitely easier. The local setup, I had to do a lot of different configuration tweaks to make that all work together, and it just requires more knowledge of how the things work. So the cloud storage is okay if, and I'm okay. I'm not going to be mad at anybody that says, <laughs> oh, I'm using cl the cloud storage option. Yeah. Um, so now if, if, but if we think about some of the different options that are out there, and I've, I've used a couple of different password managers and, and I'll, I'll save what I use now for the kind of the, um, the, the conclusion, I guess, or the, the thing that I, that, that I like, and I'll tell you why I got there. But I began using LastPass when it first came out. And it, it did pretty much everything that I needed it to do. I'll tell you that, honestly, the reason that I moved off from LastPass is they used to have a free tier mm -hmm. in their service plan where you didn't have to pay anything. And then they hit a particular point in the lifeline of their company where they said, okay, we're doing away with the free tier. And now we're switching to, um, they started to make things uh, cost more money. Before they went to a complete pay thing, they made they said that like if you want m things to sync on your mobile, you got to pay a certain amount mm -hmm. per month. And I, for some reason, I was just cheap at that point, <laughs> and I just didn't want an option that was that, that I had to pay, pay a monthly recurring charge for. So, uh, but for the average user out there, LastPass is going to be a great option because it's it's they're the biggest 
fish out there in the industry. They got a lot of people using their stuff. It's being tested across all major browsers and phone versions and things. So it's gonna be the best option for somebody who doesn't really wanna put a lot of thought into it, but just wants to use it for the service that it provides. And just to, uh, just so you know that they've actually gone back and the mobile stick now is free. So they do uh, have some pro services, uh, but now you can actually use it on your mobile phone and all your computer. I, I am now using the free tier. I used to pay $12 a year, which is a dollar a month, uh, which is what it took to get the mobile sync, but that's now free. They've got some pro services you can pay for, but for the basic service, it's now back to being free. Okay, that makes me sound like I'm really cheap. <laughs> I, couldn't have, I couldn't pay a dollar a month for this service. <laughs> Any other ones you might want to throw out that you would, anything else? like? Yeah, a, so let's, there's another one called KeePass, and KeePass is an open source approach for, to the password managers, which I wish, it, I wish it would work better than it does because I like open source. I'm a big fan yeah. of being able to review source code of the things that I'm running on my devices. But the challenge I had with KeePass, I'm a, I'm a Mac and iPhone user at this point. The Mac versions of it were just... Kludgy is the only mm -hmm. way I can describe it. It just they just didn't work smoothly. Um, they had the local option um, to store the passwords. Then it would it was supposed to work with various synchronization services, and I just had a lot of challenges with it. So when I left LastPass, I went to KeyPass. Key I tried to use KeyPass, and I actually had pulled away from it because it just didn't it just didn't meet my needs uh, for the devices that I had. All right, and I've heard some other ones like One uh, Password is is popular. Um, uh, that is, I think it has a, a one-time upfront cost, but it's supposed to be pretty slick. Uh, I think that's one of the ones that makes you manage the the vault location uh, okay. Dashlane, which I don't know too much about, but it's pretty popular. And so, what what's the conclusion? What'd you end up going with? So I ended up using a company called Enpass, E N P A S S, and I don't have any relationship with them, but they um, they provide a they, they use a local based storage. And they don't provide a cloud option, which. Mm. But so what they do is they their software is designed to work with various synchronization services. So it'll work out of the box with Google Drive, with Dropbox, with um, OneDrive from Microsoft, and they let they let those other services that are good at doing file synchronization handle that part, and they do what they're good at, which is working on the password manager side. So, like I said before, I, I ended up falling falling into this one being my primary choice because I like the fact that they separated the storage of the passwords from the synchronization feature. So it just makes it a little more complicated if somebody ever wanted to try to try to unlock my vault without my permission. Gotcha. All right. Good. Thanks. That's great. Uh, great recommendation. I actually had not heard of them. I'll definitely check them out. Okay, so now you don't have to remember any of these hundreds of passwords except one. You need to come up with one good master password. So we still have to come up with a password. We still have to remember one. And so now we're still back to the human element of I need to come up with a strong password that I could remember. What do you tell people? What's, what's, what techniques do you give people to, to come up with a good master password? So I've actually, I guess, changed my opinion over the years from where I, what I used to do. And partially because I came from the world of security certifications, where we always had very specific requirements that said, passwords shall be a minimum of, back in those days, in the late or early 90s, it was eight characters, <laughs> but um, which was long, which was, which was strong at that point, but right. not today. Um, so it comes down to, to um, a couple different things make a password strong, but then I'm gonna add something at the end that makes it easy to remember. So okay. it comes down to what is the length, the number of characters, if I have a two character password, I'm gonna be in trouble because it'll take a computer like a microsecond to try and <laughs> guess, to try and run through all the possible two password, you know, a password of two characters 
is not very many. There's not right. much. Just a, not much. A, a, B, A, C. Yeah. I mean, we could test it humanly. We could write those things on paper in, yes. in five minutes, all the possible um, combinations. So there's the number of characters. There is the different, the, the type of characters that can go into it. So meaning if we add um, some like the, you know, like in uh, percent sign or some other type of um Special characters. Special characters that kind of fit in there. Um, and, and so you can do uppercase, lowercase, uh, throw the numbers in there, throw all the different special characters. That can help to make a password stronger stronger as well. The challenge that I have with that and why I don't make that the end of my recommendation is that'll end up ge- still generating a password that's pretty difficult for somebody to mm-hmm. actually remember. A couple of different techniques. Uh, what I like right now, and, and actually the NPass password manager will, will generate these passwords for you, is you can create a five-word mm. password. And it uses it, it. It does some some. Its algorithm does some type of grouping. So it's not. Sometimes they're just kind. Of, they seem to be just random collections of words. But it is five words that are relatively easy to remember together, with like dashes in between. But the catch is you don't know, there's no set number of characters. The, the words will be anywhere from three characters to six characters in a word. So you know there's dashes in there if you're trying, if someone's trying to guess it, but you don't really know where the right. dashes are because there's enough, there's enough. And so that means you end up with a password that's 20, maybe 24 characters or 20 to 24 characters long. And it's made up of different words that, 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 that I, it's easier for human beings to remember a list of words than it is to remember A, B, percent, star, 42, yes. hut, hut, whatever, <laughs> you know, um, which means that if somebody has that strong of a password, they're probably going to write down that original one until they've gone through it and used it so many times. So I'm a proponent of let's, let's do something that's long and strong, but still is rememberable by a human brain. Yeah, so if you're uh, if you're a geek like us, it, it, this is the classic XKCD horse battery staple something or other one, yeah. right? Where uh, if, you, if you don't know what that is, just Google XKCD and horse battery staple, you'll get it. Uh, the other the other way I've seen this done a lot of times is what's called diceware, uh, and that is uh, where they make they, they they give you this long list of words, and you roll dice to pick basically to pick the words. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing that Impass does for you. Yeah. Uh, the idea being that you could you know if you want to pick you know four words common English words that you can remember, it's a lot easier. The other the other technique I'll throw out there uh, just because it's another kind of a classic is uh, the song lyric or the poem phrase or whatever technique where you find some phrase that you're familiar with that's not super popular but one that you'll never forget, like the first line of some song or some poem or a book, whatever that you that you know well, uh, maybe hopefully something that not everybody knows that would be associated with you, and take the first letter, uh, first letter of every word in that thing, including capitalization. Throw in the punctuation if there's commas, periods, exclamation marks, to kind of give yourself something. That that's another that's another technique I've heard. Have have you ever used that? Do you have any problems with that technique? No, I don't have any problems with it as long as it's long enough. It's not like two words. Yeah, like your favorite song is the "What does the fox say?" or something. <laughs> that was the that was the extent of the entire song. So if if you wrote down all the lyrics to that, it's still four you know, four simple characters, four simple words. Oh, God help you if that's your favorite song. That's <laughs> true. Yes, you, you know have other problems. I'd actually managed to forget about that song. So thanks for bringing that one now back for up. The rest of the day, it's going to be in your brain. <laughs> that's right. Oh, okay. So a couple a couple last questions here. We'll wrap up. So. Another common thing that the people get, and I think they get this because their their work requires them to do this, is change your password on a periodic basis. You must. I, I know that where I work, they they make me change it every sixty days. I think it is or ninety days, which drives me nuts. But 
is that for for regular people? Is it is it important? I mean, we've got a hundred passwords. Is it important somehow that I go through and rotate those passwords every so often? So if you're going to use a password manager, I would rather have you pick a long password that unlocks it and then not worry about changing it every 30 days. Because the problem is if you try to change your password every 30 days, you end up needing to do what? Writing it down. You can't remember it because it's changed so often. The other problem is if you make people change the password every 30 days, every 60 days, they tend to pick a pattern. Yeah. And they stick to that pattern and they add one to the end of the number. Yep. And it just slowly kind of makes its way up. So they're, they're technically not really doing, they're bypassing your your attempt to make security better and actually weakening security. And so I'm not a big fan of the of the common password change. Obviously, if there's been a breach, yeah. all bets are off. We got to change because those passwords are potentially on the street. People could be using your stuff there. So, um, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of saying let's make people change passwords every 30 days because I I think it's a, that's an kind of it's a bit of an archaic requirement, and I don't think it really provides the value that we need. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree. Um, what about um Two-factor authentication. How does that is something we haven't talked about yet, but it's it's a it's a common technique for improving the overall security of something. What is? I think we've talked about this before, but for the for the benefit of the audience, what is two-factor authentication, and how does it how does it help uh, make us more secure? Okay, so two-factor authentication. It it what that means is we're going to provide a couple of different parameters to help prove who we are. It's something that we know. Okay, that's our password. That's something we could keep store in our memory. It's something that we are. That's where the biometrics come in. It could be a fingerprint, could be some other type of scan. Um, something that you something that you know, something that you are, and something that you have. Okay? The third one is something that you have, like a mobile phone. And so the idea is we want to combine two out of the, these three, that's what makes it a two-factor, two out of these three things together to cause it so when i go to log into a particular website i'm going to give them my username and password but then they're going to send a text message to my cell phone which i've already proven that's my phone number and i've received a message and, and relayed to confirm that that is in fact actually my phone i'm going to give them the code back that they sent me to my mobile phone and then i've given them my password that's one factor and the code that they sent to my mobile phone, that's the second factor. And that just gives us better assurance that it's actually me on the other end. And where this really honestly saves your butt as today is with all these password breaches. So let's say you go on vacation two, for two weeks and the day after you left, there's a massive breach of your bank or whatever. And, and you don't know that you need to change your password. But if you have two-factor authentication, that means the bad guys, even if they figure out your password, they still have to get the second factor as well before they can get access to your account. So that's that's where that really saves your butt is is where if someone does guess your password somehow, uh, then they still don't have your cell phone, right? And so they yep. still they still can't get into your account. So that that's that's one reason I love uh, two-factor authentication. I tell people to, to to turn that on everywhere they possibly can, and more and more places are allowing you to do that now. Yeah, and like if you think about it, like Google. When you use two-factor, you think, oh, I log into Google stuff all the time. It's going to be difficult. Well, they give you a 30-day window before you have to re-authenticate. So it's not like you're doing it every day. Every time I log, I'm, you know, daily I'm getting a text. I'm relaying the messages in. It's only once every 30 days, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty small investment to improve your security the level that 
two-factor is going to do for you. Exactly, and then it's and it's per device. So so you know once you've logged into your computer and done the two-factor thing once, usually they they recognize when you come back from that same computer, and so they said, okay, you've already done two-factor. We'll give you the thirty-day. I think so, which is great also for the for the bad guys because they're not on your computer. So when they come in, they get challenged and they get rejected because they don't have that second factor. Yep. So one, so one last question. So we've got this password vault. Um, I know my master password. Two things. First of all, should I ever write that master password down? And if so, where do I keep it? And second, and maybe this is how we do it. How, what happens if I die or what happens if I'm in a coma? That's the that's the exact answer to that question. So you can c- combine those two those two <laughs> parts together. The the reason that you have to write this down is really not for yourself. Um, well, it could be for yourself or it could be for your loved ones. If you somehow lose that password with Enpass, if I lose the password, my master password, I am cooked. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I there's no way they can't unlock it for me by design. I can't unlock it. I have no magic key that opens the door one time or anything. I'm done. I got to start from scratch and rebuild all of my accounts and reset all of my passwords across the system. So if th- so, if I was to die, heaven forbid, my wife's got to have some way to get into yeah. those accounts because I, like I said, I have 300 some odd accounts that run my entire business from, and then I'm the only one that has those. So that's the reason to write that down. Um, I wouldn't store it on a phone. It's got to be a, a physical device. I mean, if you have a safe deposit box, most people don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, kind of a thing of the of the past. Um, but if you have a vault or something, most people have some type of a, a storage vault. More more from a fireproof perspective yeah. than a security perspective. I wouldn't write on there, um, this is my master password for <laughs> Exactly. Me. You know, communicate with the people via voice in real life, the people that would have to, to use this password in the event of, a, of, a, of something happening to you, and then put it somewhere. You can even disguise it to some degree. Right. I mean, you can, you can write on the top of page, you know, this is, no, don't write, don't write this is my last will and testament because it might be, it might not be, <laughs> it might not be uh, interpreted correctly, but you could write like my favorite sport is hockey and you could write a little bio and then two lines below you could write my favorite team is the something, you know, you could make up some name or something mm-hmm. um, and combine it and then hit period, have a period and then put some other sentence after it. And then you know that the password, the master password is going to be, you know, some combination of that. But the idea is here is that you want to, you want to be able to assist in case some tragedy were to happen. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Those are all wonderful bits of advice. Thank you very much for coming back again, Chris. And, uh, Good luck in your endeavors, and I'm sure we will see you again sometime in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. What a great interview. I really want to thank Chris Romeo for coming back and talking to us about passwords and password managers. Uh, Again, Chris Romeo is the CEO and co-founder of Security Journey. You can find more information about Chris and his company uh, on this podcast's webpage. Now, we've got time still for uh, one question in our listener mailbag. Thank you again for sending me your questions. Uh, This question comes from Brooke in North Carolina, uh, and Brooke, Brooke asks... As a business owner, how can I protect my customers' data from things like ransomware? And do I need a personal firewall? Well, Brooke, that's an excellent question. It's actually two excellent questions, so let's take those one at a time. Um, The best way to protect your data in general is to have backups. And this is a subject that we're going to be getting to uh, in uh, hopefully a a show in the very near future. Uh, Why backups are so amazingly important. But ransomware, again, to just kind of recap, ransomware is a kind of malware that's very popular these days. 
Uh, and the basic premise is you somehow click the wrong link, open the wrong document, you get uh, this this malware, this this virus, this kind of bad software on your computer. And what this com- what this software does in the background is it slowly but surely encrypts, that is, hopelessly scrambles every file on your computer in the background. Um, and the way encryption works is uh, if you have the key, then you can decrypt it and get it all back. So what they do is they hold that key and therefore your data for ransom. So they basically say, okay, you still have all your data. You just can't read it unless you buy this key from me. So if you're a business owner and it's not just your information that you're worried about, you've got your customer's data on there, perhaps their credit cards and names and addresses and whatever else you may have, shopping history. It's not just your data that's at risk here. It's their data. So one thing to realize off the top is that they don't really have that data. They didn't steal the data in the case of ransomware. They just kept it from you. So in that sense, if you're lucky, at least, they didn't realize what they may have had their hands on and didn't copy that data off for themselves. Now, if they did, it's too late already. They have that data. Uh, The key there is you really should have had that data encrypted yourself using your own personal encryption in the first place. Um, so that if they tried to pull that data off, they would it would be useless to them, just like uh, the the ransomware has made your data useless to you. Um, so that is your first line of defense: is I would encrypt your hard drive. Um, uh, and it's too big of a topic to get in here. Uh, you can Google it for now, and I'm sure we will cover that topic again later. But both uh, Windows and Apple computers have got built-in techniques for automatically encrypting your hard drives. So. The other thing you need to do is you need to back up your data and you need to have copies of that backed up data somewhere else. Um, if that if you've backed up data even to a, a connected external hard drive, a lot of times the malware can get into those drives as well. So you really need to have what we call a 3-2-1 approach, which means you need three copies of, uh, of all important data, the original and two backups. Um, that's where the two comes in, the two backups. And the one is one of those backups should be offsite. So in that point, you should either be swapping out your drives and keeping one in a different place, um, or perhaps using a cloud backup service. So if you had all that data backed up, you wouldn't really care about the ransomware. You could just get to your backups and get your data that way, and you wouldn't even have to pay this person. So that's really what you want to do uh, to, to guard against ransomware, whether it's for your personal data or for um, your customer data. Now, you also asked, um, do I need a personal firewall? That's really a topic for a whole other show. A firewall is, 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 is a protection uh, of a different sort. Uh, you can think of a firewall as a one-way valve to the Internet. And what that really means is you can get out to the Internet and, and then come back, but something unsolicited can't come in. So there's all sorts of bad computers out there that are constantly poking around on the Internet trying to find vulnerable computers. Uh, And the way that most computers today are best protected is through firewalls. And firewalls are already there. Most operating systems already come with a firewall built in. Most of your home network routers already have a firewall built in. Uh, So in most cases, you're already protected and you already have a firewall. But it's a great question, and it's something that we will get to and talk about further in more detail, and I'm sure in a future show. And that's going to wrap up another edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, Be sure to check out the America Out Loud website for full show information and links to helpful resources related to each show. Uh, You'll also find links to my Twitter feed, my book, and the Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons website. And on that website, you'll find my blog as well as a sign-up form for my weekly newsletter. Uh, I try to keep the newsletter short and to the point, covering uh, one important safety tip every Sunday night. 
If you would prefer to listen to these shows in radio show style, tune in to the America Out Loud Network uh, from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time on iHeartRadio, AHA Radio, and TuneIn Radio. You can also download the America Out Loud radio app along with the America Out Loud podcast app. You can find links to these apps on the America Out Loud website. Now, I know you must have questions about security and privacy, so please send me those questions at Parker at americaoutloud.com. That's C-A-R-E-Y-P-A-R-K-E-R at americaoutloud.com. And I will answer your questions at the end of every show. And until next week, everybody, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Stay safe. <laughs>